question shapes the debate over private prisons. Such institutions receive significant attention and criticism, but their overall impact on prison growth is slight. Only about 8% of prisoners are in private prisons, and there is no evidence that states that rely on private prisons are any more punitive than those that do not. So although private prison firms saw their stock prices soar in the aftermath of Trump's victory, and even if more prisoners are sent to private prisons in the coming years, reformers' attention should aim at individuals who play a much bigger role in supporting punitive policies and driving incarceration trends, including state and county politicians with prisons in their districts and at prison guard unions. Yet these public sector groups continue to face little scrutiny. In short, the state and local commitment to reform may endure, but because that commitment remains focused on the relatively unimportant factors behind prison growth, it continues to ignore the most important causes of this national shame. John Pfaff, November 2016 Introduction American Exceptionalism The statistics are as simple as they are shocking. The United States is home to 5% of the world's population, but 25% of its prisoners. We have more total prisoners than any other country in the world. And we have the world's highest incarceration rate, one that is four to eight times higher than those in other liberal democracies, including Canada, England, and Germany. Even repressive regimes like Russia and Cuba have fewer people behind bars and lower incarceration rates. It wasn't always like this. Just 40 years ago, in the 1970s, our incarceration rate was one-fifth what it is today. It was comparable to that of most European countries, and it had been relatively stable all the way back to the mid to late 1800s. It was, in short, nothing out of the ordinary. In fact, the prison boom started so suddenly that it caught most observers by surprise. In 1979, a leading academic wrote that the incarceration rate would always remain fairly constant, because if it climbed too high, state governments would adjust policies to push it back down. However, the timing of that paper could not have been worse. The number of people in state or federal prisons rose from just under 200,000 in 1972 to over 1.56 million in 2014. The incarceration rate grew from 93 per 100,000 to 498 per 100,000, peaking at 536 per 100,000 in 2008. Another 700,000 people are in county jails on any given day, more than two-thirds of whom have not been convicted of any crime and are simply awaiting trial. Remarkably, these numbers understate how many people are locked in prisons and jails each year. In 2014, approximately 2.2 million people were in state or federal prisons at some point, and perhaps as many as 12 million passed through county jails. Although the data are patchy, it's clear that tens of millions of Americans have spent time in prison or jail since the 1970s. Historians, sociologists, criminologists, and economists disagree over exactly what changed in the 1970s that caused the surge, but clearly something, or a lot of things, changed, and our prison populations took an unprecedented turn.
One clear cause was rising crime. Starting around 1960, crime rates started to climb steadily. By 1980, violent crime rates had risen by over 250% and property crime rates by over 200%. After a brief lull in the early 1980s, violent crime spiked again in 1984, peaking in 1991 at almost 400% of its 1960 level, more or less. By the start of the 1990s, violent crime in America had never been worse, and property crime remained as bad as it had been in 1980. It's not surprising, then, that prison populations also increased sharply during these decades. Surely this was in part just a mechanistic response, since more crime leads to more arrests, and thus to more convictions and more prisoners. But a mechanistic response cannot fully explain...